Today, what we're going to focus on is, hopefully, we'll get through both of them, is Asher Yatar, the blessing of Asher Yatar, and the blessing of Elokai Neshama. Okay? Now, when we think of Asher Yatar, Asher Yatar is a blessing that we say every time we use the restroom after we come out. We then say this blessing, special blessing of how Hashem has created us. And when we think of that, we don't necessarily <clears throat> we don't necessarily think of that as being part of the actual davening, as part of the actual prayers in the morning. However, the custom is that we actually do say it as part of the prayer service in the morning. And there's two different reasons why this might have become part of the prayer service in the morning. One reason is that if According to some, if you use the restroom in the middle of the night, you actually do not make an Asher Yatar when you come out of the restroom. You wait until the morning when you're actually awake and you're actually in a state of, of cleanliness. And then you do it as part of the actual prayer service. You then add the Asher Yatar into the prayer service. Another reason why we perhaps we, we say it as part of the prayer service is because as we will see when we read this blessing, that is all about expressing our gratitude and our thanks to Hashem for having created this incredibly complex system that we live in, right, our bodies. So it's actually appropriate to be saying that as part of the morning prayer service as we build towards this the grand crescendo of the prayer service, which is when you stand in front of God, when you say the Amidah. So as part of building up to that level, we're trying to build our appreciation and gratitude for everything that he has given us okay so let's let's look into this this bracha a little bit more at length if you guys have the art scroll sidor it will be on page 14 okay right after nitilat yadayim um the third paragraph on the page now the beginning of the blessing is going to follow the regular uh, bracha format as we discussed last week it starts with baruch blessed or you are the source of all blessing or through this, we are asking to bring more blessing into the world. Atta, you, Adonai, my master, Eloheinu, our, our God, Melech Olam, master of your king of the universe. And then we go to Asher Yatzar, right? So now we start talking about Asher Yatzar. So let's read that in English. Who fashioned man with wisdom and created within him many openings and many cavities. Okay. Now, the English does not fully capture the redundancy of the Hebrew. If you look at the Hebrew side, it says, Uvarabo nikavim nikavim, which would mean literally, and he created within him holes and holes. So he just said holes twice. Nikavim, nikavim, chalulim, chalulim. Hollows and hollows, right? What chalul means to be hollow, it means an organ within us, okay? So instead of just saying that Hashem has created us with openings and God has created us with, hol with hollow organs, what we say is he created us with openings, with openings. He created us with hollows, with hollows, right? What's going on over here? Why are we repeating that? It seems a very uh, redundant way of speaking. It is obvious and known before your throne of glory that if but one of them were to be ruptured or but one of them were to be blocked, it would be impossible to survive and to stand before you. Blessed are you, Hashem, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. Okay, so what, what are we saying on a very, very simple level? What are we discussing over here? We're discussing the fact that we are expressing our gratitude to God for having created us with this complex system that has openings within the system, and it has 
organs within the system. And if one of these organs were to open, we would die. If one of the openings were to close, we would die, right? Now, how long would it take for us to die? That's a little bit of a question. Some people have an, an insertion over here, a specific time period that if things would be open or closed or we would die. But the custom is we do not add that because it's not clear exactly how much time. But we do know that our system is incredibly complex and is incredibly interwoven with everything else within the system. And when things aren't working, when one thing is out of whack, everything else is gonna be out of whack too. So in a very simple understanding, what we say when we make this blessing after we use the restroom, or if we are saying it in the morning as part of the prayer service, we are expressing our gratitude and appreciation to God for creating this system, a physical system that works so with, with incredible complexity and that does an incredible job of ensuring that we continue living, okay? Now, we then finish this blessing by saying, blessed are you Hashem who heals all flesh, and act wondrously. What are we trying to express with that? So Rabbi Schwab, who you know, we keep on quoting, and this is the class is based on, once again, Rabbi Schwab on prayer. That's what the class is based on his book. So Rabbi Schwab speaks out like this. He says something interesting. He says, when we look at the medical advances that the world is coming on every year, there's more, more and more medical advances. Is what would be considered the actual height of scientific advancement in the 1800s, if a surgeon today would jump into a time machine and show up and say, yo, sure, I'm going to go do an amputation and walk in with his tools and walk into the hospital with his tools, they would arrest him, right? And he certainly would be, would be sued for malpractice for walking in with, you know, a saw that wasn't necessarily sterilized, right? But the idea of gangrene that it had to be cut off, that was also a relatively new innovation, relatively speaking. Right? So medical advances are constant. And he says like this, he says, these medical advances, we discover more and more about the body. And the more we discover about the body, the more we recognize the incredible complexity and how every single element of it is absolutely essential. Right? I think even the, even the appendix recently, they discovered that the appendix does have a role and the, the role that the appendix plays, it can be taken over when the appendix is removed but the appendix does have a role, right? There's nothing vestigial, right? Everything does have a specific role in this very complex system. Now, typically, when we think of giving appreciation for the system that we live in, for the body that we have, right? When do we think of appreciation? So I'll tell you how it works for most people, and I speak for myself too. If something doesn't feel good, and sometimes, you know, something doesn't feel good, and today with Dr. Google, you look at your symptoms on Google and you think to yourself, uh-oh, maybe I have X, Y, and Z, right? And then you go to the doctor and you're thinking to yourself, uh-oh, maybe I have a real issue. You go to the doctor, the doctor says, oh, no, no, everything is fine. It's totally normal. And think to yourself, wow, I'm so grateful that it was really nothing, right? Now, in truth, every second of every day, the system that's working, it's so well calibrated that if it got off out of sync for a little bit, we would be in deep trouble. But we don't appreciate that at all. So what the sages implemented is the special blessing to be said every time we use the restroom. And through this blessing, we're trying to build a greater sense of appreciation and gratitude for the system that Hashem has created within us. So on, on a very simple level, as I said, this is just purely appreciation for the physical functioning and for the processes that Hashem has created and put into place. Now, when, when one, um, let's do source number one.
one. So source number one, what, what he brings down is a pasik, a verse in the Torah. And the verse tells us like this, it is in Exodus 15, 26. And this is right after the Jews have left Egypt. And Moshe, Moses is speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, he said, if you will heed the Lord, your God, diligently, doing what is upright in his sight, giving ear to his commandments and keeping all his laws, they will not, then I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So what the Torah is telling us is like this. We don't necessarily think of healing the fact that everything is working. We think of healing when something is out of sync and then gets fixed, that's being healed. What the Torah tells us is, no, on the contrary, you're not understanding. Really, Hashem is the healer, and therefore he does not bring the disease upon you in the first place. Right? So I think the way that we would describe this in, in a modern, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right? At the greatest level of, of a healer would be someone who ensures that you never get sick in the first place. So instead of waiting for those times when things are, uh-oh, am I sick or not, or waiting for the times when you're actually sick, then express appreciation to God for healing you. What the sages want us to do is to bring this level of appreciation into a daily basis. And when should we do this? Specifically after using the restroom, which is a natural process, but something that is really incredibly complex. We don't think about it like that, but we're trying to inculcate this feeling of gratitude, this feeling of appreciation for everything that Hashem has created. Now, when you think about the, the complexity of the system and the preciseness of the system that we live with, it, I'm not going to say that it is a logical proof that there was a designer, but it's certainly a high degree of likelihood that there was a creator, right? So we're not saying it's a clear-cut proof, but the fact of the matter is that there is something that it's incredibly complex. And we'll bring a one proof that we're going to bring now from Job, from Eov. And he says like this, he says, after my skin will have been peeled off, I can visualize God from my flesh. In other words, what Job was saying is that when you think about the complexity of the human system, that itself is a way to see God. It's not a clear-cut proof, right? It's not evidence, but it is somewhat of a proof. Next proof that I'm going to bring is not from Job, but it's actually from Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein had a, a little bit of a tortured relationship in terms of trying to figure out um, what exactly his thoughts were about God. He did not believe in a God that had a cared about every individual, that he did not believe in. He did believe in a creator though, right? And what he said is, he said, someone went to him and asked him, do you believe in a creator in a letter? And he wrote back a letter. He said, I'll give you an example. He said, if you have a child that doesn't yet know how to read, who walks into a library full of very complex books and he doesn't even know how to read the language, right? It's clear to him, somebody must have written these books. Right? So Albert Einstein is using this as an example of why it is that by looking at the system of the universe writ large, it is obvious that there is a creator. I think what we would say is we'll take that same idea and bring it down to a little bit of a, a smaller scale. Right? Physicists always are thinking of that scale, but most of us are not. And we could bring it down to, to the individual human and say the fact that we have this incredibly complex system makes it highly likely that there is a creator. And when we believe that there's a creator, then we can have more of an appreciation for this complex design that he put into place. Um, now, so let's look at the specific um, words that were, were used over here in this blessing. And we're gonna ask a couple of questions over here. And then we're gonna answer those questions as to how this we see that this blessing is not quite as simple as it seems at first glance. 
So he asks a question like this. If it's all about the fact that there's a complex system, do humans have more of a complex system than other mammals? Not really, right? It's not like qualitatively different, you know, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's not that different, right? And mammals maybe are the most complex. I'm not, I'm not a biologist. Maybe there are other animals that are even more complex, right? So why are we focusing on the fact that he fashioned man with wisdom? He fashioned all creatures with wisdom, not just man. Why are we just focusing on the fact that he fashioned man with wisdom? Number two, why do we repeat those words of the openings and the cavities? So in, in the English, it's not as clear, but as you read in the Hebrew, it is more clear that the word opening is actually repeated twice. Openings, openings, cavities, cavities, right? It's a little bit of an odd way to speak. Also, there's something that we use over here, a phrase that we use. We say it is obvious and known before your throne of glory, right? That if but one of them were to be ruptured, or but one of them were to be blocked, it would be impossible to survive. Now, why are we bringing God's throne of glory into this, right? As Jonathan said earlier, right, it could get pretty coarse when you're talking about the, the uh, excretory system, right? So why are we bringing the throne of glory? We don't often talk about God's throne of glory in the prayers, right? We do sometimes. We talk about it on Rosh Hashanah, right? A time period in which we're, we're crowning God as our king, we talk about his throne of glory. But now on a daily basis, every time we use the rest, when we walk out, we talk about the throne, the throne of glory, right? Why are we bringing the throne of glory into this blessing? The fourth question, what do we mean when we say that it is impossible to stand in front of you, right? We don't say it's just impossible to stand. We say it will be impossible to survive and to stand before you. Why do we say before you, right? If what we're just trying to express is our appreciation to God for having created us with the system and for the ongoing functioning of the system that allows us to live, all we have to say is it will be impossible for us to stand. We don't have to say to stand in front of you. What are we trying to express with that? So based on these questions, Rav Schwab wants to say that there's really a very deep understanding that's going on in this blessing. We are not just expressing our appreciation to God for creating our physical system that's in place. We are also expressing our appreciation to God for a spiritual dimension as well in this blessing. Now, um, uh, yesterday in our 19 letters study, we discussed the fact, and this is a very important principle of Jewish thought, that we have a neshama, they have a soul. And that neshama is actually a part of God that a, what we call a chelek elokai mimal, a portion of God from on high that actually exists within us. Now, how does that, how did it happen that it came to be within us? So if, if you remember, and I think at verse seven, right at the beginning of the Torah in the second chapter, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. He blew into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So how did man become a living being? Man became a living being because God blew into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, the Zohar explains, when you breathe out, you breathe something of yourself into what it is that you're breathing into. So what, the reason why the Torah is describing God as breathing, not that God breathed, and not that there was actual like something that we would be able to see. The reason why we're using this analogy is to explain that there is a part of God within all of us. And that part of God is called the neshama, the soul. Now, 
we're going to see over here that this blessing is really not just about the physical appreciation, appreciation for the physical body. It's also about the appreciation for the spiritual body. And more specifically, for the fact that they both can live together. Okay. So now our next source, this is source number three, and this is a very, very powerful idea. This is based on, this is the Shulchan Aruch. Now the Shulchan Aruch is written in the 1500s by Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who is a great, great Torah scholar. And it is a book that is all about halacha. It goes through all of Jewish law in all the different categories of Jewish law that we need to know for daily living, for ritual law, for prohibition and permission law, for getting married, for getting divorced. It goes through everything. Rarely does he delve into interpretations of why this is the law. He's coming to tell you a legal book. It's a legal book going through what the law is supposed to be, Jewish law is supposed to be. But when it comes to the very the sixth portion of the first book, the book that deals with the laws of daily living, he entitles it, and it's not actually in the title right here, he entitles it The Laws of, um, of the uh, Saying This Blessing After Going to the Bathroom, and also the interpretation thereof. So let's see what the interpretation is. When one leaves the, rest, the restroom, he recites the benediction of who creates man with wisdom, as the creation of man was done with great wisdom. There are those who interpret this to mean that the body is similar to a sack full of ear and is full of holes, as it, the opening of the sack, is close to the bottom. In other words, we have a sack full of ear and we have holes in a sack full of ear. Now, when you picture it, if you have a balloon, right, and you make a hole in that balloon, guess what happens to the ear inside that balloon? It will all go out. And yet we have a sack full of ear and we have holes. And yet still, we are able to exist with these holes and things don't come out. Okay, that's one level. Others understand with wisdom that God arranged the food of Adam HaRishon, right, that God arranged the food that we are going to be eating. And afterwards, he was created. Okay. Um, now, and created him holes, holes, hollow places, hollow places, meaning many holes. For example, mouth, nose, and anus, and also creates in him limbs with many hollow places, like the heart, belly, and intestines. That's how Hashem creates us. If one of them were to shut up, meaning that in the places there are holes, there is one hole in particular, which is the mouth. When one is inside his mother, the mouth is closed off, right? When you're inside the womb, your mouth is closed. You're not getting sustenance from your mouth, right? The place where you are sustained from is from your umbilical cord, right? That is the only way that you're going to live when you're inside the womb. Now, so at that point, your mouth is closed. But when you come into the ear of the world, if your mouth would be closed, you wouldn't be alive anymore. So the oxygen comes to you from, your, from the blood that is circulating from your mother, right? And you're not getting any oxygen from opening up your mouth and breathing. Right, but when you come out of this out of the womb, then all of a sudden, if your mouth was still closed, you would die. So, expressing once again, focusing on more of the physical miracles. Now, let's go further. Let's go to here we go, and does miraculous things is in the text because man is compared to a sack full of ear, and if man makes a hole in the sack as small as the tip of a needle, ear will escape. And the fact that man has many holes in him and his spirit is still kept inside him, this is a miracle. Now, so what does this mean? So he's expressing in not such a clear way yet, but we'll still get a little bit clearer. The idea is that we have a physical body. And this physical body 
does some acts that are coarse acts, right? It, it has an excretion system, right? It has things that are very coarse and very materialistic and very connected to this world. And yet, and yet we also have within us a soul, a soul that is a portion of God. Now you would think, okay, they can't be sustained together and the soul does not reside within this body, right? They're somewhat unrelated. What the text is emphasizing and what Jewish tradition emphasizes time and time again is that the soul, which is a part of God, has the ability to be retained within our physical coarse self. The soul itself resides within us and it doesn't leave. And this itself is the miracle. And this is perhaps one of the greatest miracles of our existence. We're gonna read over here the gloss. So the gloss was written by Rav Moshe Isserles. He lived around the same time as the Shulchan Aruch, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rav Yosef Cairo. He lived in Poland and he wrote a commentary that was more based on the Ashkenazic Jewish tradition, whereas Shulchan Aruch was based on the Sephardic Jewish tradition. And furthermore, there are those that explain that does miraculous things to refer to that God keeps the spirit of man in his innards and binds something spiritual to something physical. And all this is on account of that he is the healer of all flesh, because then man stays on the line of health and his soul is kept in his innards. Okay, so in other words, like this, the reason why we focus on this idea that there are these two different completely opposite, like it's like oil and water, They're way worse than oil and water in terms of not being able to mix. You're talking about a very physical existence, a very spiritual existence. Why do we focus on expressing our appreciation for this after using the restroom? Because if our physical body is ailing and then passes, then the spiritual body will leave as well. So, and when we say thank you to God for keeping us healthy, as we do in a very clear way, each time we use the restroom. So that's an appropriate time to also focus on the fact that the soul that resides within us is because God created us with this soul residing within us, okay? So what we're now trying to express is that really the appreciation and the gratitude that we're seeing in this blessing, which started off as just being, I went to the restroom, I'm happy I was able to go to the restroom, I'm happy that I have a physical body. It's not just about that. It's not at all just about that. What it's really also about is the fact that we have this spirit within us. Um, so I spoke to my father this morning, as I do every Friday, and um, he said, I have to mention the Magen Avram. So the Magen Avram is Rabbi Avram Gumbiner, and he's one of the first commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. He was a little bit more of a mystical bent, and he lived in, um, in Kalish, Poland, in the, I think, uh, I think early 1600s, okay? And he says like this, so he, he goes a little bit further with the idea of what it means to have a soul, a spiritual soul that's actually bound up in the body, in the physical body. My father said, before I say that, I do have to share with you a story about his mother, okay? So the Magan Avram's mother, uh, when he was growing up, the Magan Avram, Avram Gambiner, was a sickly child, and his mother was very concerned that he would die as a young child. So the story goes that she used to go into the into the, uh, the Beit Knesset, into the synagogue every day. She would walk inside and she would say, good morning, a good morning, God, right? Which, which Yael knows what that means. That means good morning, God, right? And she would say, uh, make sure that my son, Avramala, is healthy. Okay, 
have a nice day, God. I got to go back home now and make him breakfast. So he stays good and healthy. Right? This was the this is what her relationship with God was, that she would come in and say good morning. She would then tell him what she's about to be doing, what she needs in life. And then she would say, have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Right? That, that is the personal relationship that, that his mother was able to, uh, to accomplish, you know, expressing with, with Hashem. So Rabbi Avon Gambiner discusses like this. He, he adds one more level of understanding and depth. He says, not only did Hashem house the spiritual body, the, the Shama, in a physical body, the Guf, not only that, but the sustenance that sustains the physical body actually ends up being sustaining for the neshama as well. That essentially what he's saying is that everything in this world contains within it something of holiness and something of materialism. And when you eat food, the holy part of the food is sustaining the neshama and the materialistic part of that food is sustaining your physical body. Through the fact that everything that you eat, everything that you imbibe, that has two different elements to it. And those two different elements each serve one part of your combined body and soul. That ties together your body and soul in this bound up relationship that it's able to exist at the same time, both body and soul together. Okay, so that, that's the, the first, the second idea that we wanted to share. The first Ashley Yatsar is focusing on the physical gratitude. And then the second part is focusing on the, the, the gratitude for the fact that we are able to have a soul, which is a part of God, which itself is something to be grateful for, but that also that that soul is able to live together with the body. Now, one more reason why we express this in relation to the, to the, to the physical as we're leaving the restroom. So there's a, a very interesting story in Tanakh, in the, in the Navi, in the prophets. The story goes like this. This is in Samuel 1. And the Philistines have captured the Ark of God in their fighting with the Jewish people. And what happens is after they capture the Ark of God, their punishment occurs to their city. Here's the punishment in source four. And after they had moved it, the hand of the Lord came against the city, causing great panic. He struck the people of the city, young and old, so that hemorrhoids broke out among them. Right? That was their punishment. Their punishment for moving the Ark was that they got hemorrhoids. Right? very explicit, it's very um, graphic, and it's certainly a way of bringing them down to earth and allowing them to recognize their, their folly and the iniquity of trying to move the ark, which represents God's manifestation on earth, of trying to move it to their own city. It's hitting them, not just where it hurts, but it's also hitting them in a very, very coarse way to show them what it is that they are trying to do, to house the ark of God in a place where it does not belong. This is the punishment is going to be a physical course punishment to remind them deeply of how how lowly they are and how what position that are in that they cannot possibly intend to actually keep that ark with them now what happens next in the prophets what they do is they come to the recognition that the reason why they're being struck with hemorrhoids is because of the fact that they have the ark so then they're trying to figure out what should they do how are they going to get rid of this ark which do you give it back how do they give it back and there's a whole story about how they give it back but among the details in source number five, you shall make figures of your hemorrhoids and of the mice that are ravaging your land. According to the tradition, there were mice that were coming and they would come to their beds at night and bite their hemorrhoids. Okay, it gets you know grosser upon grosser. Now, they were told 
that they should make these gold figures of the hemorrhoids and gold figures of the mice and put them back on top of the ark. And when they send the ark back to the Jews on their on the wagon with these uh, you know cattle bearing the ark, they should put the, these gold uh, patterns, these gold figures on top of that as well. And if you do so, perhaps you will lighten the weight of his hand upon you and your gods and your land, right? It's an interesting story. A little bit humorous interlude in the middle of the prophets, right? You know, some of the heavier stories in the prophets are happening, but a little bit of a humorous interlude. That's how we would take it. But let's look at what the Talmud tells us. Where did those figures of the hemorrhoids and the mice, where did they end up? The Gemara asks, okay, so this is the, the source number six is the Talmud in Yuma. And the Talmud is trying to figure out something. It's not really so important what we're trying to figure out exactly, but what the Talmud is going to teach us is very important. With what are we dealing here? To which time period is the Mishnah referring? If we say it is speaking about the first temple, were there curtains then? There was only one curtain over the one cubit partition. What they're discussing is, is the, the partition in between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. Rather, if we say that the Mishnah is dealing with the second temple, was there an ark in the second temple? The Gemara elaborates, but wasn't it taught in a Brisa that when the ark was buried, right? So towards the end of the first temple period, King Yoshia, Right, or Josiah, he actually took the ark and buried it so that it would not be taken by the by the Babylonian uh, conquerors. Right, and we still have not found the ark. You know, Indiana Jones does not in real life does not find the ark. Now, along with it was buried the jar of manna that was next to it and the flask of oil used for anointing. These are all objects that were found in the holy of holies. And Aaron's staff with its almonds and blossoms. When you think about these items, what are these items? Right, the ark itself. Next to it, they had saved a jar of manna from the desert, right? That was still miraculously completely preserved. Thousands, not, that, um, not thousands, but hundreds of years later. And when the pilgrims used to come up to Jerusalem, they would bring it out to show them, look, here is a jar of manna that our ancestors survived on. That's something that's worthy of being stored in the Holy of Holies. The flask of oil that they would use for anointing kings and high priests, something worthy of being stored in the Holy of Holies. Aaron's staff, after they have the, the, uh, the civil war, or at least the insurrection, where Korach tries to foment insurrection against Aaron and Moshe. And there's the miraculous staff of Aaron that blooms into almonds and also did not die. That's also something which is representative of a great miracle. That's also something which makes sense to be kept in the Holy of Holies. What else? And the chest that the Philistines sent as a gift to the God of Israel after they captured the ark and were stricken by several plagues. As it is stated, I put the jewels of gold that you returned to him for a guilt offering in a coffer by its side and send it away that it may go. So what else did they have in the Holy of Holies? They had a chest that, what did that chest have within it? It had gold figures of mice and hemorrhoids in the Holy of Holies. And according to the Talmud, a different opinion in the Talmud elsewhere, the, mo the book of Torah that Moshe himself wrote before he died where did it rest in the Holy of Holies? It rested on top of this box. Right? Incredibly incongruous picture over here, right? Which we thought it was this humorous interlude, but now we're told these, the Philistines fashioned, they created these figures, and this ends up getting into the Holy of Holies and rests underneath the book of God that Moshe himself writes. This is in the Holy of Holies, and this is what's resting underneath it. What is the idea that we're trying to express? with this story? And why does it make it into the Holy of Holies? When you think about it, we think about this like contrast 
between the physical body and the spiritual soul. You have a sublime entity, the soul, and it's contained within this body, a very coarse vessel. When we use this restroom, expel waste from within us, we think to ourselves, this is like the coarsest physical process, something that we don't even feel comfortable talking about in public, right? You're expressing, you're, you're expelling something that is going to decay, right? And it can create issues with your physical body if you don't express that item. The hemorrhoids represent a similar idea. So why is it that we find in, in the Holy of Holies, why is it that specifically then is when we make this blessing thanking God for having a soul that he can put within us, right? So the idea is like this. The idea is that the, the, in Judaism, as opposed to Christianity, right, that believes that, let's say, there's an original sin and that there is no hope of actually being successful in trying to overcome the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the materialistic desires of our bodies. There's no hope of doing that. Judaism does not say that. Judaism says we take that soul and we house it within the guf. We house it within the body because the body has a hope to be redeemed through the soul acting in tandem with it. It's not a completely separate process. They're not indistinct entities. They are one and the same, right? This desire to do what is good, this part of us that comes from heavenly places, that comes from the throne of glory itself, that part of it is housed within the body that it can do the coarsest and most physical and most materialistic actions in this world. They're put together. And the reason why we focus on this blessing, specifically after using the restroom, and the reason why this ark of this chest, right, that the Philistines have sent back is the one that stays in the Holy of Holies is to precisely express this idea that the coarsest part of us is also able to be lifted and elevated. And the coarsest part of us, the, the court, the, our soul, our, our guf, our body is able to house within it the most spiritual and the holiest of the holy, a part of us that is coming directly from heaven. So each and every day after we use the restroom, we, we make this blessing and this is what we're thinking about. This is what we're focused on, right? Um, so why is it that he asked the question? Why is it that when we say Asher Yatsar Esha Adam, right, that who created man with wisdom? Because only man has a soul within him that is a part of God from on high. Why does it say cavities twice and openings twice? It's trying to represent the idea that aside from this incredible physical system that we see in place, there is also a corresponding spiritual system that we don't see that's invisible. It's on a completely different plane, but it's corresponding in every which way to the physical body. We fight. This is something that we can have in mind whenever, you know, instead of thinking of it as being this coarse thing, right? It is still a coarse thing. You still shouldn't walk around talking about it in public. It's not, not saying that, but you should be able to appreciate specifically then that this coarse body has the great gift of having a part of God within us that can then allow us to have free will to act as in the same way that God acts with free will and to be someone who can take the guf, take the body and elevate it through the souls operating upon the body. Uh, one more point related to this. So last night in the 19 letters class, we read that the role of the soul in the body is as the leader of the mini universe of the soul. And Rev Hirsch said, that it's a similar role to God's role 
in the larger universe, okay? So it's sort of paralleling God in the larger universe operating, the soul in our mini universe operating. So another thing that we should remember when we say this simple blessing is that just as every part of our body has to function properly for life to continue, that's in the mini universe, so too in the greater universe, every one of us is necessary to operate properly for the greater universe to function properly and fulfill God's will. That's, that's one more thought that I think is an important thought to recognize it. I, think I want to just repeat that one more time. If we say that the soul within the body is a, a leader of that mini universe, the same way that God within the greater universe is the leader of the greater universe. So the same way the body, every single component in it has to operate properly for everything to be working properly. So too in the greater universe, every one of us has a specific role to play. And it's only when we're all working properly that everything is actually working to God's vision, right? No matter how great we are, no matter how low we are, we think, oh, what do I really, what difference does it make in life? No, every single one of us has a specific critical role and an essential role to play in the universe.